A lot of people don't like it. I used to say this all the time, but I'm going to resurrect it. You can't be victorious and be no faith punk. You just cannot be victorious and be a faith punk. You cannot be a person who got strength as long as you at church. You can't just be strong at church. You got to be able to be strong in life. And your strength has to come from the word. So we're going to start with this. We're going to pray. We're going to start with a scripture, and I'm going to give you these steps, and then I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today, okay? So Hebrews 4 and 12, and then we're going to pray over this. I told Kay, I didn't give Caleb the list this morning because let me tell you how Pastor Edwin Stobie set me up. He's supposed to preach today, but he ain't asked anybody to do children's church really because he wanted to be back there with them because he wanted to do this thing, right? So if he don't tell me that I'm going to preach until Saturday night, it's real tight because, like, I've been real um, – activist the whole week but like and so then I'll be trying to figure out how I'm gonna switch over and talk about something besides injustice which is why anybody who followed me saw this morning I had like 20 posts I was trying to get it all out so before I came in here because I was, I was like you gotta do better you gotta give a sister a heads up like if she gotta if I gotta preach especially if I gotta preach about a subject so if you know a couple little Martin Luther King quotes coming here just charge it to my heart no, I had. <laughs> Hebrews 4 and 12. Then we'll pray. It says, you found it, Caleb? We together? It says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. I want to read it out of the Amplified. It says, for the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating the dividing line of the breath of life soul and the immortal spirit and the joints and marrow of the deepest part of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and the purposes of the heart. So it tells us this thing about the word. And the one thing that it tells us about the word is that the word is alive. And so if the word gets in you, it will make some things in you alive. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the word that was manifest in Jesus. We thank you for the word that is manifest as Holy Spirit. We thank you for the written word. Father God, we pray that you would give us a deep love for the word of God. Because it is the word that anchors our soul. And we declare right now in Jesus' name that we will be changed and led by the word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, I believe that any deficiency in our life is really a word deficiency. And I don't mean it's a scripture memorization deficiency. I mean that it is a lack of an encounter with the real and living word. Because one of the things that the Bible says about the word, it says that the same word that raised Jesus from the dead spirit that raises from the dead it'll quicken you so one of the things that i know is that if you hear enough word 
that word will cause you to move, right? If you hear enough, you'll move. Now, the challenge for a lot of us is simply this, is that before we start hearing word, we hear all these other things. So before we start hearing, unless, you know, we're blessed to grow up in amazing families and that's the generation we're building now, but it may not be the generation we came from. And so as a result, we grew up in homes and what they said about marriage or what they modeled for marriage may or may not have looked like the word. And so then before you ever get to marriage, you have an idea of what marriage is that may not agree with God. And you have an idea about raising kids that may not agree with God. And you have experiences that may or may not agree with God. But what he says is that if you get enough word on the inside of you, the word will begin to wash you. And it will begin to wash out the stuff that doesn't belong. So if you're going to be successful as a believer, not as a person, because the truth of it is, is that people use success strategies from the Bible all the time and have a measure of success. If you are going to be successful as a believer, you must have a high regard for the word. A high regard. It looks like this. The word should be your first and your final authority. So the word is what I go to first. And when I don't know what to do, the word is what ultimately makes the decision. And the truth of it is, is that unless you're disciplined to live that way, one of the things that Jesus said when the devil came for him, he said, you'll find nothing in me because ain't nothing in me like you. Because he has so much word on the inside of him that when the devil... Everything that the devil tempted Jesus with on the mountain was the same kind of stuff that the devil tempts you with now. The difference is, is that Jesus had a word. So my question becomes, as you're building your family, what's your word? Because if your vision isn't built on the word, then how are you going to stand during tough times? Your vision has to be on the word. So let me give you these four things. They don't just work for the word. They work for anything. We call them the four things you need to walk in any truth. There are four things you need to walk in any truth. Man, we learned these 17, 18 years ago from Dr. Ivy Hilliard. Still true today. Number one, if you go walk in any truth, somebody old school, what you need? You need a revelation. You cannot walk in truth without revelation. What's a revelation? An illumination, an insight, an idea, an aha moment. And the truth of it is, is that that's how you all get saved. That's how we all got saved. Especially if you grew up in a church where they made a salvation call every week. Every week, you didn't respond to that call. In fact, you probably heard that call for years before you went, aha, that's for me. That's revelation. All around you, people could be saying, Jesus saves. You need a savior. God wants to change your life. you like, I hear it. You can quote John 3.16, but when John 3.16 became life to you, you had to move. So one of the ways you can measure whether the word is life to you is whether you're moving. So when we looked at, for example, when um, Sertrick, who will be next, here next week talking about money, and some of you, you already trying to think about how you can miss next Sunday. 
You already trying to figure out how you can escape next week. I know it's difficult to hear about money when you broke. But until you hear enough word about it, you go stay broke. So you got to hear until it moves you. And it, you got to hear until. I was working with a client the other day, and this way she said I thought it was so good. She said four years ago, her pastor had a get out of debt free campaign at their church. Intensive classes. She said in the middle of the first class, she got up and walked out because she said there's no way I could ever be that. She said she never went back to another one. She said, then she hired me, and I started talking about the same things, working with her, and she said, and then in July, she said, that could be me. And from July to December, she paid off more debt than she had in the last four years because she had to see herself as available to do it, as capable of doing it, before she could actually do it. So if you see yourself as defeated in your marriage, if you see yourself as unable to have intimacy, if you see yourself as unable to move past your problems, that is where you will live. And it does not matter how many people pray for you and coach you and oil you and breathe on you and cover you up with a towel. You're going to get up and go home to the same raggedy marriage because you don't believe that God has empowered you to change it. So when you're not moving, you need more word. If I read a confession, if I read something that says, I'm the healed of the Lord, but I stay sick all the time. I need enough word. I need enough word. Now, sometimes the, sometimes the healing is miraculous. But sometimes I need enough word until I stop eating pork. Sometimes I need enough word until I stop drinking sodas. Sometimes I need enough word until I would prefer to put down sugar than to have to take a shot. Sometimes I just need, and, and here's the problem. Here's the problem about darkness and light. The problem is, is that when you get revelation, you forget how dark it was. So then you're looking at other people talking about, I don't know why they don't change. Because they're in darkness, just like when you were in darkness. Have you ever got a revelation or something, and when you got the revelation, you didn't understand why you couldn't understand to begin with? Have you ever had something click for you? Probably a great example of it is multiplication. When you first started working with multiplication, and they introduced the concept to that, after showing you addition, right? And they're trying to get you to understand that multiplication is just repeated addition. And then, but you know, one plus three is four. So then when they say one times three, you still think it's four. And, and you're struggling. But if you do it enough, if you do it enough, and then when you do it enough, you don't understand why it was so difficult. You got to get enough word until it changes your behavior. If your behavior is still the same, you ain't got enough word. Revelation. Deuteronomy 29 and 29, it says, For the things of God, they are not hidden from us. They are hidden for us. So it means that all these things that it seems like you don't know, they are hidden for you. 
If you seek, you will find. They're actually not really hidden in as much as you're blind. Actually, a proverb says it like this, not a biblical proverb. It says that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Actually, if you think about it, what it really means is this. When the student is ready, they can see the teacher. It don't mean the teacher just showed up. It means that because you're ready, you can see what you couldn't see before. That's what revelation is. Now, Matthew 13, one of my favorite scriptures, ought to be one of your favorite scriptures too, because if we had to take a test on the Bible, you could assume that this is probably going to be on the, in the, on the test. Matthew 13, Mark 4, Luke 8, tell the same story as the parable of the sower. So three out of the four Gospels, 75% of the Gospels tell the story of the parable of the sower. That indicates to us that the story must be important. And it says it like this. It says, the sower sows the word. So then it goes on. I think we should read Matthew 13. Let's make this faith confession. Say, I love the word. And I live by the word. See, depending on if you came from a real religious environment, you may love the word, but really only to beat up people. I mean, you love it and you know a lot of stuff, but it really is just to. What you love is using the word as a weapon to cut other people down. Well, I'm talking about loving the word for the purpose of doing it. Because in the Bible, when it says hearken, anytime you see the word hearken in the Bible, it means to hear for the purpose of doing. Not to hear for the purpose of telling your husband what he should do. Not to hear for the purpose of telling your wife what she should do. Not to hear for the purpose of telling your boss what they should do, but to hear so you can do. It's funny, I was talking to one of my kids, and they were talking about everything that the other kids was doing wrong. And finally I said, hey, hey, Pharisee. <laughs> Pharisee. Pharisee. Can you take that two by four out your own eye? Because you can't see, you can't see yourself. And like for everything that they were complaining about that everybody else did, I just gave them five examples of when they had done it the same day. So make sure that you're not a student of the word. So you can make other people feel bad. You can make yourself feel superior. Now, on the other hand, if you love God, you ought to try to do the word. Now, I, I, I mean, I know people, I know, I know the newfangled Christians don't like to hear that. Okay? But I'm just going to tell you, if you love the Lord, you ought to at least try to do the word. I mean, if you love the Lord, can you at least try not to fornicate? Can you at least say, I ain't going to do it tonight? And can you at least say no the first time he rub you on the butt? Can you just try? Can you try? Can you try not to cuss people out? Can you try? I mean, even if you're still cussing in your head, we'll take that. Can we get you to close your mouth and not let them all come out your mouth? Can you just try to obey God? Because what I will assure each one of you is that if somebody says they love you, and they don't ever make any progress to change, you call foul on the play. But isn't it funny, Pharisees? <laughs> isn't it funny, Pharisees, 
how we so quick to make a list of all the injustice that everybody that we love has done wrong to us. But we got such a short memory. Oh, help us, God. Help us, Holy Ghost. I was going to read Matthew 13. Hold on. Let me focus on Matthew 13. Look, listen, you need to read the whole story. Hear the Sean Strickland version of it because, you know, I tell stories in a way, you know, people get them. So here we go. Jesus is out with his disciples, right? As he always is. And at this point, they're really used to Jesus doing a lot of stuff and they don't know what the heck he's doing. But so he's telling the story and he says, hey, a sower went forth to sow and he sowed and some seeds fell by the wayside and the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell on stony places where they had not much earth and forthwith they sprung up and they had no deepness. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had not root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth sixtyfold. I mean, brought forth a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, and some thirtyfold. Verse nine, he says, "Who has ears to hear? Let him hear." So this Jesus preaching a message. The disciples getting by himself. They like, hey, we don't know what you're talking about. We, you talking about sowing seeds? We fishermen. We 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 not really sure what's up with that. So Jesus says, "All right, I'm gonna make it plain for you." He says, "It's given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God." Tell your neighbor, say, "It's the will of God, will of God. For, me for me to know what God is doing, God is doing. and how He does it." That's why you ought to quit being deep. Time out. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Because the Bible says it ain't given for them to know. But it is given for you to know. In fact, the Bible only tells you one thing that you can't ask God to know. And that's when Jesus is coming back. That's the only thing. Which is why every time somebody tell me what day Jesus is coming back, I'd be like, please stop talking to me. I mean, it is literally... Not knowing when Jesus comes back is like the tree and the thing. He said, you can have all these trees, but you can't touch this one, right? The day Jesus is coming back is like that tree. You can't touch that. You don't know when he's coming back. Thank you, mother. Do what you're supposed to do so that whenever he come back, you'll be ready. Govern yourselves accordingly. So then he says, for whoever, this is what he says. He says, for whoever has, more shall be given. I'm going to say this in a way to make a lot of sense to you. If you work out consistently, more is given. When you stop, even what you gained, you lose. You could take somebody who has run a marathon last year. Last year they ran a whole marathon, a whole 26.3 miles. If they don't work out to July, I bet you they ain't going to go out and run a marathon and not go to the hospital. Now, they might make it all 26 miles, but they're going to the hospital, and they probably ain't going to make it. So it doesn't matter how much word you got in November. It doesn't matter how much word you got in December. Your strength grows by the word that you keep getting. And one of the challenges for a lot of believers is that once we think we have mastery, you're like, well, I ain't got to be doing it all day. And then before you know it, you got weak and you didn't even know it. 
Because a lot of times, like, okay, so for, I'm from a small town, Fort Ice, right? When I, I used to go home a lot, like people would, I graduated in 90. That's a long time ago, right? But it would be like 97, 98, and I would go home, and I would see people out, and they'd be like, class of 87. <laughs> what? Like it's 97. You ain't got no accomplishments since 87? The saints act like that. I remember that time five years ago when the Lord moved in a mighty way. Five years, you ain't got nothing. Five years, you ain't got nothing. I remember when I first got saved and the Lord took cigarettes from my mouth, but all these years he can't get gossip from you? I mean, you ain't got nothing new in the next 10 years? Because you think you have mastery, so you don't pursue. But then here's what he goes on, because I want to stick with what he says. He says, therefore, he says, Jesus tells him, he says, here's why I tell stories. I tell stories because seeing they see not, and hearing they hear not, and they do not comprehend. He says, therefore, he says, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see but shall not perceive. And then he tells you why people can't see. He says, for this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart, they should be converted, and I would heal them. So for those of you who have reoccurring problems in your marriage and when people try to talk to you about them, all you can talk about is what didn't work before. The Bible says that what's wrong with you is that your heart is gross and your ears are dull of hearing. Really what this what the Bible says, you have exalted your experience over his power. You love him. Forever and ever, he reigns. He reigns forever and ever until he tries to talk to you about how he want to change your life now. And then you want to talk about what they didn't do last year. He said, and because your, your heart, oh, I love this. This is so beautiful for marriage. Because when marriage people come to conflict, they always come and talk about the other person. No one ever comes and says, Pastor Sean, I suck. <laughs> it's just never happened. Like, like, like he, I, it has never happened. Pastor Sean, they, they never say, Pastor Sean, I suck. They come like this, they be like, I don't know how much more of this I can take because I'm over here and I'm living for the Lord and I'm doing everything the Lord done asked me to do and he won't do none of the stuff the Lord asked him to do and what I don't know what I know is that the Lord called me to have abundant life and I ain't going to live like this for the rest of my life heart waxed gross Hard wax gross. Ears dull of hearing. I see 
but can't see. Because, like, you're so amazing. <laughs> you're so amazing, right? And, like, I mean, it's like, oh, my God, like, such a tremendous blessing to get to do life with you. Because, you know, like, you have, like, cleaned up all of your stuff. And, like, oh, my, like, you have not, like, seen since, like, September 11, 1913. <laughs> and so, like, I mean, you know, so how could you, in your perfected state, be asked to do life with someone as imperfect? Oh, my God. I mean, I feel like Jesus on the cross carrying the sins for everybody. Because I got to be up in this thing holding it down all by myself. I'm the only one praying. I'm the only one fasting. I'm the only one. But did we ever ask them what they feel like living with you? Because I, I think that sometimes like even because here's the other thing that people who know more word, I'm going to help you. Those of you who know more words, you tend to have this superior thing to the person that don't have as much word as you, right? And you'll be like, where is Jesus in them? You don't know Jesus may be keeping them from killing you. I mean, like you think, like you, you fussing, like you mad. Cuss, 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 they still cuss, but they cussing not to kill you. And cause you because you can't see, Pharisee. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to give you all these four things. All right, my bad. So, so anytime you can see, hear, and understand, you can be converted. Now, sometimes in marriage, people can see, and they go, you know, Chris, I do have a bad attitude too sometimes. So you can see, right? And But, see, you don't understand. You ain't got no understanding. You can see, but you ain't got no understanding. Because, again, I know how hard it is when you're so perfect to live with somebody who's so imperfect. And because you have this image of this false perfection in your mind, that's why your feelings get hurt when somebody tells you who you really are. Because I'm checking you. How dare you talk to me about my behavior? Because this relationship is only wrong because of you. I mean, all you got to do is get saved and live for the Lord and do what the Lord tells you to do. All right. All the people who feel like that, you should just ask the Lord to take you. Go ahead and go to heaven. Go ahead and go to heaven so your spouse can find somebody who imperfect like them so they can live a good life with them, okay? So you can quit tormenting them. All right. Okay. So that's a revelation. And if you're going to have good relationships, you need a revelation about the will of God. And you need a bigger revelation about who you are than who your spouse is. And the whole church said, amen. See, that's hard stuff because every, like most of y'all, when y'all praying, you praying about how the Lord needed to deliver you from them. Maybe the Lord needed to deliver you from you. You're spending all of your energy about what your spouse need to do. Are you doing everything the Lord told you to do? He told you to be quiet, but you still talking. He told you to do something nice for your spouse, but because they didn't do what they were supposed to do for you, 
Pastor Edwin ain't in here. Let me tell you how this story, right? This just happened. <laughs> Listen. That's why I'm, when you get the mic, you know how I work up in here. Right. So here's what happened. So anyway, we had a little bit of a minor disagreement. When I say minor, you know it's minor because you know if it's big, I tell you it was big. But it was minor, right? And one of Pastor Edwin's strategies is deflection. Like if I get mad at him, then he get mad at me because I'm mad at him, right? Classic, right? And it used to really play me, but I got a coaching degree now, and I'd be like, mm-hmm. What I'm not about to let you do is deflect. But see, here's the problem. I love him so much. If I mess with him long enough, I can let him make me mad, and I get all worked up, right? So I was all worked up. And so um, he had apologized, and I didn't get over it fast enough for him. True story. Just happened. So he walks back in, and he says, that's why I bought you them flowers to surprise you, but they're going to come today, and this is what the cards say. <laughs> Tell them what the whole car said. I was like, you are so wrong. And we were laughing about it. We were laughing about it. At because basically, he was like, I'm going to do something nice for you. And because you got a funky attitude, I'm going to ruin it. And it's funny, but how many times have you done that? How many times have you done that? The Lord told you to do something nice for your spouse. He put something on your heart to work on intimacy and to be romantic. And then they didn't do something you wanted them to do. And you just ruined it. You just ruined it. Just ruined it. Right. Jimmy done canceled orders and everything. You need to send that this week. Send it in Jesus' name. But here's the deal. If you don't know that that's in your personality to have a propensity, you want to know something so funny? When Elwin was five or six, his daddy took him, his mama took him to go pick out his daddy's Christmas present. He got mad at his mama and he told his daddy what he was getting for Christmas. He said, that's why mama got you a watch. Like, like my point to you is that whoever you are when you were little, if you ain't dealt with it, however you did when you was little, what you, that's what you do now. Set yourself free in this revelation. All right, step two, you need a role model. Hebrews 6 and 12. Follow after those who through faith and patience have obtained the promises of God. That's why even though we've been married for 22 years, I look to them. Because they've been married longer than 22 years. I watch their model. I watch how they still act like they boyfriend and girlfriend. You see how they be matching most Sundays and stuff? I said to Elwin, listen, I said to Elwin, I said to Edwin, I said, now we're going to have to step our game up because, you know, um, the Youngs, they come in like he touching the small of her back. I was like, hey, you need to have a class on that, brother Young. Help them in. But I look at them because they are a role model, and a role model doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be committed to the journey. Your role model don't have – and see – I got to tell you that your role models don't need to be perfect because anybody who's still standing in marriage got a story they ain't going to tell you. 
We got everybody who married who done made it got at least one story that ain't your business. We made it. The Lord know it. It ain't your business. And I think you got to know who your role model is. Like, for example, if, like, you know that at your house, y'all be getting into it, cussing each other out, you can't follow after the people who talk about, well, we agree all the time we'll never get along because you're not going to be that because that's not how you why. You got to find the people to be like, hey, we used to get into it, and now we got some strategies. Because now you over there feeling like you fit. There really are people who are more... Um, agreeable and calm and pass and not passive because that's not what I want to say they're just not as aggressive they just not as aggressive if you know you aggressive those people probably aren't going to be good role models for you because the fundamental thing that they have that lets them not engage you don't have it now those people can help you they can help you. Like there are people who because they're a lot calmer than I am, I talk to them when I'm trying to walk through stuff because they'll walk me back. You know what I'm saying? They're going to walk me back. But like I know that how they typically approach a situation is not how I'm going to approach it, so I'm not going to use them for my comparison. If you were virgins till you got married, praise the Lord. But if your if the, if, your vir, if the couple who got married was virgins, they're not going to understand some of that stuff that you're talking about, that you got issues because you got experiences. So the Bible says to follow after people who through faith and patience have obtained the promise. So if you used to be out there in them streets and you got a lot of experiences, you got to talk to a man or a woman who know how to manage all of those experiences so they don't come up in your marriage. God forgets. You don't. You better tell yourself the truth. God forgets. You don't forget. Not ever. Now, what you can do is have good management of what you remember. You can have good management of what you remember. But you're not going to forget what you did. You was there. You know. So you need a role model. Let's move on. Number three, you need a regimen of faith. I'm going to actually use something funny for this one. Let's say that one of your goals in your marriage is to be more romantic. You need a regimen of faith. A regimen of faith is simply a system. The end goal is to produce what? More romance, right? Yes? So you need a systematic way to get more romance in your life. Number one, we need a baseline test of what romantic is. Because romance ain't the same for everybody. So we need to know what romance is. Yes? Once we identify what romance is, then we need to give some models and some examples. Right? Like I know that you thought it was romantic when you took them flowers from work and brought them home. They was almost dead. 
that's not really what I see as romantic. I know you thought it was nice to massage me, but you left a bruise in my back, so. <laughs> so that's the reason. <laughs> that's the reason I don't want you to massage me because <laughs> you're heavy-handed. <laughs> and when you get through, I need a heating pad. I'm done. I ain't got nothing else. Right? Because we have two young kids, I find it extremely romantic when you help me do the dishes. Because when I'm doing the dishes and you're watching football, and then I go to bed and you touch me, I just want to kick you between your legs. So I would like to suggest that if you would like to connect with me later, when you see me washing these dishes, get on up. And act like you like drying dishes with me. And you got to do it like you like it. You can't just be in there huffing. It is also not romantic for you to tell me everything that you did for me today in anticipation of sex. So you can't be like, well, I got this morning, I took you to breakfast, I went to the mall when I didn't really want to go to the mall, I listened to your story, that, that like you got to text your boy and tell him that stuff, but don't tell your wife that, because don't no woman want to hear that all day you was just checking off stuff to get some. All right, so you need a regimen of faith. How are we, you need a, you need a regimen of faith for conflict resolution. Here's how you typically resolve conflict. You get into it. You get mad, you cuss. They get mad, they walk away. You don't really have a strategy for resolving conflict. You got to, before you have conflict, say, number one, visualization matters. So visualization has to be a part of your regimen. You got to do stuff like this. You got to say, this is what I used to say years ago. I used to say, when he come in, I don't care what he say. I'm going to be nice. I would envision him talking crazy and me being nice. It is. It's called practice. And you got, because you, no, what you do is you practice what you going to say when they do something. Because you like, because I've been meaning to tell you that you gained 10 pounds anyway since we talking about stuff we don't like up in this relationship. <laughs> Understand that those are not effective strategies for resolving conflict. So what are our, our rules for conflict engagement? We need a regimen of faith. And then we need to check in to see if we're doing it. One of the challenges with people with marriage is that you go, we need to do better. And this is typically how most people work. Most of us are still like little kids. We only really get better with threat of a whooping. So you do something bad enough that the person is kind of like, I don't even know if I can put up with your tail no more. And then you're like, I would do anything. I would do anything. What do you want me to do? I would do anything. I would do anything. I'm so serious. I would do anything. And then they give you the benefit. But you don't have no plan for checking. You don't have a plan to measure success. 
You don't have a plan to walk through. You don't have a regimen of faith, so you got to have a regimen of faith. Number four, you need a righteous resolve. A righteous resolve is the only one nobody else can give you. you got to give yourself a righteous resolve. A righteous re resolve is just bulldog tenacity that you not go quit. And I'm going to tell you that if you believe that the person you are married to is the person God told you to be married to, you ought to have bulldog tenacity about staying together. Now, if you don't believe, that's a whole nother kind of conversation to have. But if you believe God put you with somebody, you ought to have a commitment to stay together. I'm not talking about the outlying things, somebody beating you in your face. I'm, I'm not talking about that. We're never going to promote staying with somebody who's hurting you. That, that, that's just not okay. That ain't even biblical. But if you're going to work through stuff, here's the thing I, I just I feel like nobody says to us enough about marriage. The, the vows say for better or for worse. Nobody has a strategy to work through worse. But if you do life with somebody, you go see worse. Anybody can make it in better. What we gonna do when it's worse? And what we gonna do when it's worst? Worser. Worser. Isaiah 50 and 7. Caleb, Isaiah 50 and 7. Hey, can you pull that up in the New Living Translation? Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? So I'm going to give you some scriptures, and then I'm going to give you some questions that you can ask yourself from our marriage workbook. Y'all all right? Amen. You need a revelation? Tell me what you need. You need what? Huh? And number five, my bad, my bad, number five, strength to endure until your change come. The Bible says if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is weak. Number five, my bad, them old abundant life people brought it at. Number five, and strength to endure until your change come. Because all change doesn't come quick. That's why you need a word. See, the reason I need to know that we're supposed to be together is because there may be some times that you show me some things that indicate that we shouldn't be together. So I got to know that we're supposed to be together so that I cannot be moved by what I see when you're going through crazy. And then when I'm going through crazy, you got to be able to remember that God put us together and we're walking through something. The myth of this American fairy tale love is that you're going to love someone and because they love you, Everything they do go change immediately because they love you. Most people' insecurities ain't got nothing to do with you. You just take it personally. You just happen to be doing life with them, so you doing it with them. Huh? So you need strength to endure 
until your change comes. That's why you got to start with a word. That's why I'm always saying to people, you say, I know you love them, but did the Lord tell you to marry them? Because you can love some people that you should never be married to. You can be extremely turned on by somebody that you should never be married to. Because y'all going to go to jail if y'all over there with each other. Because your passion is destructive. When you're picking a mate, it has to be someone who can... You, you need somebody who can do two things. They got to be a ride or die and a ride or fly. That means you got to be able to walk with me when I'm soaring, but you got to be able to cover me when I'm in the pit. Like, at the end of the day, everybody who know me know this about me and Strick. At the end of the day, he ain't Pastor Elwin to me. He ain't even my kid's father. He's strict, and I got his back. I got his back. Don't, like, that should be the comfort that everybody in marriage should have. Literally, from the bottom of my heart, you should never come for him. Because if you ever come for him, you get all of me. He over there saying it ain't a big deal. I'm ready to go to war. I got my swords out. I'm like, oh, I got my Vaseline, Converse. And that is how people who are in covenant, not just marriage covenant, that is what covenant should look like. Let me parenthetically insert that. That's the reason nobody should be able to come into this church and talk bad about somebody else here. You should be like, I don't really know where you came from, but that ain't what we do up in here. And if you come up in here trying to spew poison, you go get delivered or delivered, but you're not going to stay. But you're going to be delivered. Because that's what covenant looks like. Covenant is not a concept that I cover you just when you write. I don't need you to have my back when I'm up. I got my own back when I'm up. It's when I'm in a pit that I need to know that somebody go stop the buzzers from eating my flesh until I recover. This is, and really, this, this is how I see it. To me, if you come for my family, you are an agent of the devil. And I only have one assignment, and that is to eradicate you out of my life because my family is a gift from God so I don't play about my people even when I'm mad at them you gotta have some good old school home training which go like this I can talk about my sister all day long. But you better not say nothing. When I'm venting to you about my sister, you better say I'm going to pray for pumpkin, okay? You better not be like, and by the way, this what I, what? Wait, 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 what? Hey, hold on. 
Like, hold on. Like you out of bounds. That is what marriage and covenant should look like. I'm not saying that we cover up for wrong. I'm saying that we, that Chris should know that if she fails, I am going to correct her and cover her. The correction I do with her, you may never see. It ain't your business. But what you ought to always see is how I'm covering her. And if people build relationships like that, you strong, you linked up. All right, let's give some scriptures. How much time? I don't know. Listen, I'm going to give y'all some scriptures. We're not going to go to all of them. Because you got to have a word first. How can I anchor myself like that to Pastor Strick? Because my first word for us wasn't that we was going to do ministry together. My first word was when we all go do great things and lead people to the Lord. It, it's really why, because I want you to hear it, because I want you to understand this, that if it ever came between saving us and this church, deuces, I'm taking my boo and we riding off into the sunset. You better play them CDs. You better live off what we gave you. Hear what I'm saying. You should never let anybody, not your mama, not your daddy, not your kids, kill the covenant God gave you. I don't care how much you love your little kids. How they going to come between you and the person God put you with? God didn't put you with your kids. Your kids temporary. I mean, as soon as they get old enough to know what a friend is, they don't even want to be with you no more. As soon as they got a friend, they gone. And you go fall out with your spouse, the person you're supposed to do life with, over your mama? But that's my mama. But the Bible says that your covenant is to leave and cleave to your mate, not your mama. Man, you can't hardly say that stuff to black folks. Black folks be salty about their mom. Some of y'all like, you better be glad Sertrick preaching next week because I wouldn't even come back up in here to talk to me about my mama. <laughs> hear me. If you value anybody over your spouse, you out of order. Anybody over your spouse, you, but my mama held me down. Anybody over your spouse, you out of order. And the truth of it is, is that the Bible says one will put a thousand, two will put ten thousand. And some of you can't put ten thousand because you ain't never been in covenant because you still in covenant with other people over them. Amen. That, that ain't in my notes, right? Yeah. Romans 4. I'm just trying to help us. Romans 4, we're going to get some scriptures. And then I want to give y'all just some questions that you can ask, you can work, you can do. Bear with me because really the, th- the truth of it is, is I'll be honest with you. Pastor Edwin, he like really don't want to preach a long time to y'all on Sunday, but you don't come to church on Wednesday, so I don't care. You don't come to church one time. You watch movies, it's two hours. 
You watch games, no matter how many overtimes they go into. You faithful. You, you binge watch Luke Cage. But if you if you not disciplined enough to sit for an hour to 90 minutes to get word, that's why the word don't anchor your life. I don't know why we in church so long. You don't say that about nothing else you in. Especially those of y'all back in the day, I'm going to tell on some of y'all. You went to the party. You went and got something to eat, then you went to the after party. And you weren't talking about, ooh, we've been out here partying for a long time. You just stayed on out there and kicked it. Eyes watering, bloodshot because you're sleepy. But you're scared you go miss something. That's how you ought to be about the words. You don't want to miss nothing. Because it ain't a party that will transform your marriage. But it is a word that will. Y'all so silly. Listen. It's so funny because we laugh about this all the time. Like most of y'all just know me like as somebody who kind of teaches and does workshops. You don't really know I'm a preacher. Like I, like, like I try to like give you steps and stuff. But I'm telling you, if you ever get stared up by the word and the word ever changed your life. The people followed Jesus till they was hungry. They followed Jesus, and they didn't turn back even when they knew they didn't have any food because he had something that they wanted. I'm telling you, if you ever get serious enough about the word like that, your life will change. I'm a witness. I don't need nobody to tell me. If you ever put the word in first place, it'll change everything in your life. Romans 4. This is what it says in Romans 4. You can look at the verses when you get home or you can pull them up. Romans 4, 20 through 21. It says, and he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but he was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. How can you be a believer? Believe that God told you to do life with someone but then believe what you see is stronger than what God said. It says, he did not waver. Do you know how you keep from wavering? You guard what you look at. You guard what you look at. When your marriage is the worst, that's when you need to hear the most word on covenant and marriage. When it is the worst, that's when you got to rehearse why God put you together, the promise that he made you, every prophecy you ever heard. As a side note, it's the reason that when people give you prophecies, you ought not fall down, you ought to write them down. So that you can come back and rehearse the prophecy because the purpose of a prophecy is to keep you from losing hope as you walk to the prophecy. My friend, Dr. D.D. Freeman, some of you know her, her husband is Mike Freeman. Last year, two years ago, he was sick unto death. Like sick unto death. Like they had to put him on an ECMO machine. Anybody in nursing understands that the ECMO is the absolute last machine. It's it. If it don't work after the ECMO, it is done. I talked to her every day. She never told me he was on an ECMO until he came off. I asked her, I said, why didn't you tell us all the details? This is what she said. 
I had already seen us old on the porch. I knew he couldn't die. She said it wasn't no reason to tell y'all how bad it was because I had a vision of us old and we hadn't done that yet. What is the vision that guides you when it looked like your marriage is on life support? What you going to say and speak then? And I'm telling you, I, I know, in those times, you don't need the friend who say, girl, I understand. You need a friend, which is why people get so salty when they're really in crisis, they don't really want to talk to me. Because I'll be like, I got one thing. I'll be like, what the Lord say? Did the Lord tell you to leave? Because if the Lord told you to leave, I'll come over there and help you pack your stuff. Did the Lord tell you to leave? Oh, all right. Well, you do what you want to do. But what you ought to do is obey the Lord. Y'all, see, here's the problem with church folks. Church people are so cute. We, church people are so cute. But we love to get, we love to say something deep and profound. Oh, Lord. You know you got to have a test to get a testimony. Got to have a test to get a testimony. Then when the test comes, you won't quit school. You the one up there trying to be deep with the thing about how you got to have a test to get a testimony. Well, walk through your test to get the testimony. The truth of it is you don't even know what your marriage is made of till you face some adversity. Some people be thinking that they love is concrete and steel. It is cheap construction paper. Cheap construction paper. Put together with rose art glue. It is a mess. All right. Let's look at Joshua 21 45. I'm trying to get you to start encouraging strength over your marriage. Well, Lord, they done had this problem a long time. You done had some problems a long time. The Lord didn't leave you. And here again, I tell you all the time that that's the reason that I'm not always out encouraging people to get married. Because I believe that when you get married, you should have a word. And that if you get married based off a word, then you equipped to walk through your struggle. But if you only got married off of something else. Now, let me say this too. You can't use your faith to make somebody else change. The faith is not a tool of manipulation. It is you cannot use faith to make people change. What you can do is pray is that their heart would be tender to the Lord so God can do work in them. The other thing that you can always pray for your marriage is that God would help you to see your spouse like he does. Help me to see my spouse the way you see them. Sometimes you'll find out that when your spouse is really acting out and you really want to be upset that God will show you where they're broken. And it's hard to be mad when you see where they're broken. Sometimes when they're acting out, he'll show you their potential and what he's called them to be. That's why you got to have a vision that's bigger than what you see right now. Nobody can fully flourish in love that is withdrawn when I mess up. Nobody can flourish if, if every time I mess up in our relationship, 
you pull your love, there's no way I can ever fully be invested in you because you take your love. And some of you use your love as a weapon. Joshua 21, 45. I'm going to give you a couple more scriptures. Then we go. I'm going to give you two more scriptures. No, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures, but I'm not going to show them. I'm not going to send them. Just write these down. Joshua 21 through 45. I mean, 21 verse 45. Isaiah 48 and 3. We're going to go to those two. Psalms 33 and 9. First King eight and fifty six, Jeremiah one and twelve. All right, let's go back to Joshua twenty one and forty five. Let's pull that one up on the screen. We're gonna look at that, and then I'm gonna give y'all some questions that you can ask yourself when you get home. Because if anybody has questions, I want to give you an opportunity to work. Say, I am committed, I am committed. to the covenant relationships. In my life. life. You got to be committed to the covenant relationships. Paul said like this. He said if they had been with us, they wouldn't have left us. Covenant relationships. We got to learn how to rock together. Here's what that means. We won't always agree. But we literally are not going to fall out over our disagreement if we believe we have covenant. It says, Joshua 21 and 45, it says, all of the good promises that the Lord had given Israel did what? They came true. If you quit, you won't get to see it come true. That was part of the reason, too, I wasn't going to quit my marriage. I wasn't going to do all that work and somebody else get to live in the fruit of that. I have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> when nobody else sitting at my table. I had put way too much work in. Isaiah 48 and 3. He says, I have declared. Go to the King James. He says, I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I showed them, and I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. And what I wanted to say is that breakthrough, sometimes it looks like it's suddenly, but there's really work that's been going on behind the scene. That's how we get to revelation. That's why most people don't get saved the first time they hear it. That's why they have to hear it over and over again, and there's work that's going on in the background. So there are some things that God does in your life. They look like suddenly. They're not actually suddenly. There have been work that's been taking place all that time because God knows how to get people free. So then here's my last scripture. It's one of my favorite scriptures, Psalms 119. Psalms 119, verse 96. It says, I have seen that everything human has its limits, no matter how extensive, noble, or excellent. But your commandment is exceedingly broad, and it extends without limit into eternity. What he's saying here is this. Whatever you're facing naturally, 
It has an end date. It can end because you abort it. It can end because you walk away. Or it can end because you walked it out and you get to see the promise of God manifest. I get it. If when people are walking through tough times, especially when you have scenarios in your marriage, um, because we talk a lot with couples about things that are recurring. But I think sometimes you have to be honest about what work you've really done to fix it. And then you have to be honest about what maintenance you've done to keep it. Because it's just like getting your body beach body ready, and then as soon as it's beach body, you start eating fried chicken every day. Now, we may not see it for a minute, but it's going to show up. And if you don't nurture and take care of your marriage, not for the sake of your kids, for the sake of you and your marriage. So I'm going to give you these tools. I'm going to give you one step one thing that you can work on, and I'm going to give you this, check it. You don't need to be married to do this. This is actually great dating material. This is the kind of stuff you can ask people when you're dating them. Most people are not used to real crucial conversations, so if you want to weed people out quick dating, just ask them a real question. Just ask them a real question. And let me show you this other tip, too. You got to ask them a real shock value question when they don't expect it. Because their face will tell it. Their face will tell it. I'll show you ladies how to do that later. So I'm going to give you a, we're going to do a total, this, this is a quiz that you write these questions down, and then here's the challenge. If you're married, I actually want you to answer the questions individually. And I want you to then come together like over, I want, okay, I'm going to give you an assignment. Can you follow the assignment? I want you to write, I want you to do the quiz. I don't want you to look at each other's answers. I want you to go to a public place to talk about them. So the next time you go to coffee, the next time you go and go to a public place when you got to get back somewhere. So it's time limit, right? So be like, we're going to meet for lunch and we're going to go over our questions. And then we're going to leave and we're going to think about how we can improve the questions. If you're not married, I want you to think about this. If you're not married, but you're dating somebody, you, you can feel this in. If you're not married and you booty calling with somebody, you shouldn't feel this in because you shouldn't be doing that. I, I, listen, I talk to everybody in church because statistically I understand everybody in church, everybody in church is not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So if you got somebody that nobody knows that you with them and you got them saved as a different number in the phone, this is not for y'all. If you're single, then make this about total life satisfaction because we're not going to um, exclude our singles, okay? So, on a scale, married people. Hey, if you sin by your spouse, can you get some space between them? Because you know how people be looking at their spouse stuff. Can you not look at your, no, for real, this, this is real. No, this is important. 
Because if people think you're going to see their answers, they may not tell the truth. And you can't fix what you don't confront. Right? So don't look at your spouse page, all right? If your spouse not here, it's your responsibility to get them the questions. Here we go. If you're single, remember when we say marriage, we mean satisfaction. Everybody cool? You ready? On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being totally satisfied and 1 being not satisfied at all, how satisfied are you with your marriage, relationship, life if you're single? On a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you? 10 is the highest. Some of you overachievers will probably say numbers above that. That's fine. But 10 is the highest on this scale. No negative numbers either. One. <laughs> one. <laughs> one. It's a no. No, no, no. One is not. I mean, zero is not an option. One is the lowest number. Right. Next question. Or actually the first question. The first one was just a statement. Or I guess it was a question. Why do you feel this way about your relationship? So if I rank it at a seven, why did I rank it as that? If I work it, rank it as a three, why did I rank it as that? Why do you feel this way? Next question. What is one area in your marriage or life that you are very happy with? Now, remember, married people, you shouldn't be answering for your life. You're just answering for marriage. Life is so we don't exclude our singles, okay? What is one area in your marriage that you are very happy with? Why? It's part of, it's, it's part of that same question. What, what is one area that you're really happy with? Why? Next one, what is one area of your marriage that must change? If you say nothing, praise the Lord. If you say nothing, then you could say something we can improve upon. What's one area of your life that must change? Why? Why must this area change? On a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you with your marriage? Number two, why do you feel this way? Number three, what is one area of your marriage that you are happy with? Why? Number four, what is one area of your marriage that must change or needs to change or you would like to improve upon? Why? Next question. What do you gain if you change this area? What will you gain if you change this area? So I'm really, really happy with how we negotiate conflict. I'm really disappointed with our intimacy. What happens if we don't? What do we gain if we change it? If we improve our intimacy, what will we gain? The reason that this is so important is because change equals pain. So I need a vision that is worth the pain. 
What do I gain if I change this area of my marriage? What do I lose if I don't change? What are we going to lose? Because the truth of it is, is a lot of people never count up the cost of these things, right? If we don't fix our communication, how long can we go like this before we fall apart? If we don't fix our communication, how long can we go like this before I hate you? Or worse, I have no feelings at all. Because at least to hate, we got something we can work back from. But if I just stop caring at all, it's hard to recover from that. Next, what will it cost you, the person who writes, you, what will it cost you to change? What will it cost you to change? And then here is the question that really, really matters that determines whether we're going anywhere with this. Are you willing to make the investment to change? Why or why not? Now, if you did it right, then the reason you're willing to make the investment to change is because you've identified what you will gain as a result of you changing. And now it's worth the pain. So, one area of your life that you're really happy with. I want to teach you something um, that will help you understand how to shift when your life is out of balance, okay? When you're, I want you to know why you're happy about stuff and why you're sad about stuff, okay? Anytime we are happy... It is because our expectations are being met. So if I'm happy with our finances, it's because I, our finances look like what I expected them to look like in this state in life. And anytime I am unhappy, it is because my expectations are not being met. The question becomes, for us as believers, number one, are my expectations rooted in the word? Is this something I can reasonably expect based on what God has said? For example, if you grew up watching a lot of princess stories, a lot of love stories, right? And you grew up with this expectation that you were going to marry this man and he was going to just be romantic all the time and he was just going to, when you walked in, it was going to be rose petals and all of that stuff. Um, your expectation is probably extremely unrealistic for real life. The great thing is that you don't have to stay miserable. You can shift your expectation. You have the power to shift your expectation. When you, when you get an expectation that you realize, oh, this expectation doesn't make sense. You know what, when I got married, I thought that my wife, you know, I thought she was going to come to bed, you know, ready to go every night. Well, that was three small babies ago, okay? Um, so what is a reasonable expectation now? Or she's sick, she's fighting a sickness. Is it reasonable to expect someone who is fighting a sickness to show up ready Betty all the time? Probably not, right? So when your expectation doesn't, when your life doesn't match your expectation, you are not happy. And when your life matches your expectation, 
you are or exceeds. Does that make sense for everybody? Somebody, I'm going to pick somebody from each side of the room and then we're going to go. Um, somebody tell me, singles or married, I don't care, one area of your life or marriage that you're really happy with. I'm going to see if somebody go volunteer, but if not, I'm going to pick somebody. One Communication. Why? So, would you say that you are happy because your expectations are being met? At the end of the day, no matter how we break it down, when we get through, you will be happy because your expectations are being met. Does that make sense? Somebody else tell me why they're, why they're happy. Somebody single, tell me why you're happy with one area of your life. Hmm? Productivity. You happy with your product? Why? So you're meeting your expectation. That's why you're happy. So like you have multiple jobs, right? So sometimes you're tired, right? But you're happy, right? Because you're meeting your expectation. Do you see what I'm saying? Even if you have to do something hard, if you're matching your own expectation, you can be happy. Somebody else. One more. Yeah. Freedom. And your expectation is that in a relationship you won't be restrained, right? See? You sh- any- so here is the tool I want to give you. We got a word, now I want to give you a tool. Whenever you find yourself being unhappy, ask yourself, where is the expectation not being met? And then the question becomes, are you asking someone? Be- okay, so here we go. So let me help you, okay? You don't have the right to have an expectation for what I never agreed to. So imagine you go to work tomorrow and you see that I went to Starbucks. And so you start to wait on me to bring you Starbucks. And now you sad because I didn't bring you Starbucks. And you like, I can't believe you didn't know I wanted Starbucks. Even if I knew, did I tell you I was going to bring it? So if you married somebody who was a spender, why are you mad because they spending? They were spending when you got together. You thought it was cute when they was buying you them polo boots. Right. <laughs> if you married somebody who always helps people, if you marry somebody who was always helping people, y'all couldn't even hardly have a date, and you didn't reset the expectation, why are you mad now? Because they always helping somebody. That's who you may. Did they tell you, number one, did you ask them to be something else? Did they agree to be something else? Because you don't see. Uh, here's a great thing. Some of y'all come from churches where you have first ladies. So then you come. 
And when you first come, you think I'm first lady. I'm not. So then you want to know why I don't come in with a hat and sit prim proper and sing a solo on Mother's Day. Because that ain't how I rock. And I never told you I was going to do that to begin with. I never told you I was going to do that. You brought your expectation from your past and tried to impose it on me. And now you unhappy because I ain't First Lady Jones. Right. I tell people all the time, because I, I travel all over the country. I'm like, I'm not a First Lady. That means it's a Second Lady, and it ain't room for but one of us. I don't play that. Ain't no Second Ladies. That's not what I do. I got a lot of friends who are first ladies. I'm not a first lady. If you call me first lady, I'm going to tell you, don't call me that. First of all, I don't like it. Let me tell you why. My name is Sean. Lady Sean sounds like a, a racetrack horse. Coming in first, Lady Sean. No, sir. Nope. So my question to you, when you are frustrated with people, are you frustrated with people for being who they always were? I have talked a lot my whole life. It ain't no point in being mad at me because I talk a lot. We just create a system where I know that he's overloaded, and then I stop talking. But he had to say that he was overloaded. I have a lot of stuff to say, and especially, like, when he's gone all week, but when he get in that car, I be like, let me tell you what happened. And then he, like, lists for 15 minutes, and he goes, whoo, that was a lot. Can I be like, oh, okay, you need me to pause? He be like, give me five. I be like, okay, all right, all right. I be counting down. Five, four, three, two. Why would you be mad at me for being who I am? Oh, vice versa, if you marry somebody who didn't talk, why you mad? Because they don't talk. You knew they didn't talk with. They weren't sexy when you was dating them. Why you mad? Tell me, when you don't look like, I mean, you don't look good in a bikini. They didn't look good in a bikini when you met them. They wore one piece with the little sarong. Why are you mad? <laughs> All I'm saying is, is that if we're going to have healthy and productive relationships, part of it is managing expectations. Do you have the right to expect what someone never agreed to? I'm not talking about basic things like, well, I never agreed I wasn't going to punch you. No, dog, that ain't what we're talking about right here. No, no, that's going to get you cut right there. For some people, not me, I would just pray and call the police. Uh, <laughs> that's my fake confession. That's my fake confession. So, but do you see what I'm saying? All right, we're about to take up the offering. Does anybody have any questions about how they can manage that? Yeah. Yes. Yes, Lord. Well, that is why um, Pastor Edwin and I annually assess our marriage. And then through the year, we're giving checkpoints. 
because we did like we like y'all we got married in college we got married when we still going to the parties I mean life changes and so I think it's your I think what I believe I believe the responsibility is on the person who recognizes the change so I think that the moment that I know that I'm not feeling something we agreed to it's my responsibility to say I need you to know that I know we agreed to this, but we agreed to this when I was 22. I'm 37 now, and, what I, and, and, and that doesn't make sense to me now. That's not in alignment with who I am. And if our love is rooted in a vision, then people who we love and love us give us freedom to evolve. Does that make sense? But it's my responsibility. The moment that I reckon, here's a, here's a perfect example. Pastor Elm used to have this vision about how we was going to have, like, a church in Conway and a church up here, and we was going to have, like, a church someplace else, and we was going to go to church on Saturday night, and we was going to do three different services. And one day I went, dog, let me tell you something. I will never stop you from going to church as much as you want to go. I ain't going to all them services. So I'm going to tell you up front, I ain't trying to kill your dream, but that ain't a part of my dream. Number one, I really like football. Number two, I really like Saturdays. And so if you want to have all these multiple services, you need to pick which one you want me to preach at because I ain't got one service. And I'm going to give them the best I got that one service. And after that, I'm going to brunch. I said, now, nah, I love you, and I will never try to stop you. But you go to church every night of the week if, if the Lord so move on your heart. I ain't going. And I think that here's the reality that people get caught up in people's visions that's not their vision. Like married people be like, well, the Lord told us to go in business. No, the Lord told you to go in business. So you go over there and work on that stuff, and I'm pray for you while I read my book because that ain't what the Lord told me to do. And so then we weighing people down trying to make marriage does not mean that I am responsible for every dream you have. Because if that's the case, then that would mean that when I decide to get my master's degree, you should go to school with me too. Let's go to class. You see how dumb that is? I'm going to get my master's degree and you go go to class and sit with me because we won. Anybody else got a question as we get ready to do our offering? It's your responsibility to manage the change. It's also your responsibility when you have allowed someone, ooh, this is a good tip right here. When you have created a monster, you got to kill them. Listen, when you created... Babe, we done had a lot of conversation about that. That's why she gassed up right there. If you create a monster, you have to kill the monster. I, I mean, you, you, you built it. Can't nobody kill it but you. It means this. When I first got married, the first week I was married, I cooked for Elwin every day, breakfast and dinner. I called my grandma. I said, ooh, I cooked for Elwin. My grandma said, babe, let me give you a piece of advice. She said, if you ain't intending... To cook breakfast and dinner for Edwin for the rest of your life, you better let Edwin find them Frosted Flakes. <laughs> she said, because whatever you start, he will expect you to maintain. Girl, I ain't cooked for 14 days after that because I was like, I want us to be clear. I was like, I want to be clear about what's happening here. Because I was just trying to show my love, right? Well, here's another place. So, like, with my kids, um, you know, 
my kids are used to me, or especially when they were younger, my kids were very used to me being available to them anytime they wanted me, right? This was before I started my coaching business. So, like, literally, my kids would get, and I've always had kids in multiple schools because the way they spread out, right? So, literally, I would drop somebody off at school, and somebody would call me and say, Mom, I forgot my homework. I'd go back home and get their homework and take it back to school and stuff. And I would, like, literally, there are days that I would drive in my car till 9, 30, or 10 because everybody forgot something. When I started my business, I couldn't do that. They were used to not having to get their stuff ready because of me. So I had to own that I had created it. So then I had to say to my kids, I'm willing. I said to my kids, I used to say stuff like this, especially Taylor because she went to school in Rogers. We lived in Springdale. I said, listen here, I will bring you your homework, but it's going to cost you something. What you got? Well, I'll keep the kids for you and daddy to go on a date on Friday. I want a Friday date. Is your homework worth a Friday date? Yeah. Okay. Because in real life, that's how negotiation works. All right, so fine. I got to bring you your homework. I'm, I'll bring you your homework, but it's going to cost you something because in real life, when you forget your stuff, it costs you something. It wasn't no point in being mad at them when they forgot all their stuff and I had to be places. I was the one who taught them it was okay to forget all of their stuff. It was my responsibility to say, I did this to you, now I'm going to work with you to fix this. So if you never made your spouse work through any of the problems with you because you just jumped in like a superhero and fixed it, you can't be mad because all the weight on your back. Because you the one wanting to be superwoman and superman cat, dog, whoever, just be, I'm here to rest, say today. Now you may, don't nobody never help me. Stop being a superhero all the time. Right? So whatever you make, you must kill. And I don't mean you kill the people. One, you start with an apology. You say, I apologize for handicapping you like this. I apologize for allowing you to think that it was appropriate for you to engage with me like that. And now we're going to change, and it's going to be hard for all of us, but we'll get there. All right, it's your opportunity to give. I'm done. Did y'all learn something today?